Ah, yes, folks. It's 2 p.m. Pacific Time. It's Thursday. I'm Fred McMurray. Somewhat tired, but I'm still Fred McMurray, which means this has to be... Hey, Kristen, how we doing today? Well, you know, I think I might have dropped out of Zoom and I'm only on the Ninja right now. Well, if we can still hear you, then you're here. Yeah, I just turned off the mute button. Can you hear me now? Yeah. now? We can hear you now. Can you're you hear fine. Yes. Oh, that's good. I just can't see anything, so who knows what you're going to do to me? <laughs> of course. <laughs> I mean, isn't that the way it always is? You never know what I'm going to do. I mean, isn't that the joy yeah. of this? The, the hard part is I don't even know how to react now because I won't know what's happening. All right. Huh. So tell us. All right. Well, let's just get going. What's What's been happening in the last week? Oh, my gosh. Well, what I could tell you is that the last week has been um, a bit of like a flurry, I guess. Um the last week, I have not had a whole lot of updates on our mentor. As I mentioned before, he's got a lot of work ahead of him with the new FDD going on. And so um, that has been kind of his focus lately. Um, and so we've been working mainly behind the scenes on the show, securing all of our partnerships um, to make sure that our Million Dollar Mentee program is uh, the best that it can be for everyone involved, our future men mentees, our partners, our franchise uh, franchisors, our franchisees, um, really everybody involved. And uh, if you were on the show or listening to the show last week, you'll know that we've got um, our newest addition, Jerry Akers, with us today and moving forward. And uh, he's been a great addition. And we've kind of been spending the last week or so perfecting everyone's roles uh, in terms of how they're going to help grow the program and give our upcoming mentees the best, fullest, um, we'll call it experience possible and making sure that they make the right choices for their business investments. So you're so saying we're getting we're more complex, more complicated, and stranger? <laughs> Could it get any stranger? Oh, don't challenge me. I mean, seriously. As it is, people see a shark underneath you, so um, in the water <laughs> and below I you. Can't see it. <laughs> so believe me, it can always get stranger, especially if I'm challenged. So you know, uh -oh. which there are many who would claim I am challenged, but that's beside the point. It must be the hat that made you put the um, shark out there, but at least hopefully they can't see the messy desk that I'm sitting behind at my at my real office right now. No, um, we can see it. Believe me, we can oh, all see yeah. it. <laughs> okay, well, as, as Ray said, a clean desk is a sick mind, right? Is it sick? Is that what it is? Yeah. yeah so yeah, I'm yeah. not sick in the mind. I'm just, the, the desk represents what goes on in my head every day. All right. So let's go to my favorite part of the show, otherwise yeah. known as Pillars of Weather. <sighs> yes. Ah. Today is a much better day. I'll start, Ray. How about that? Yeah. So today, okay. 
today in Roselle, Illinois, well, I'm actually in Glendale Heights, it's 66, and it's actually mostly sunny. Um, yesterday was a stark difference. It was about 46, and I was in hat and gloves. So today I've got on my sandals, and uh, things are feeling much better today. So, yeah, so in other, it's not ray weather like people see on the screen? No. I, you still have that snow screen up? Of course. I put it up so everyone could see it. I got to figure this out. I got to figure out why I can't see you all. <laughs> Go ahead, Ray. The snow weather is for you. It's Ray weather. Well, I guess that behind, is that smog in uh, where you're smog. at? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it, it's, uh, you can hardly see the background. It's so smoggy. But uh, right now, we had rain this morning here in Aurora and uh, chilly, but then it progressed, progressively got warmer and uh, it is now 73 balmy degrees. It's beautiful out. It's 73 there and only 66 here. Hmm. Perfect weather, I guess, for most people. I would prefer it to be a little cooler. But... Well, you want me to put the snow back on instead of the ocean breeze and, and warmth? Yeah. No. Kristen's like, no way, dude. Uh -uh. You can put, no it behind, put it behind Kristen. <laughs> yeah, because I can't see what's going on. Thanks. I'm David? afraid to touch anything. I'll crash the, the show and I'll really be in trouble. We don't want that. that. So, David, yeah. where are you? Yeah. What's the snow? What's the weather like? The snow like? <laughs> yeah, basically. Well, um, we I'm in back in Cleveland, and we had our, we had our Cleveland tease of weather the last couple of days. Beautiful for two three days, and now it's uh, gray and rainy all day, and it's going to do that again tomorrow, from what I hear. So that's the way it goes. Um, we'll, we'll survive it, and the sun will come out again, maybe next week. We'll see. So next week, the sea on the hat. That's not for sh Chicago White Sox or Chicago Bears. No, or... no, no. Okay. That's my, uh, I'm yearning for beach weather, and that's my representing Cleveland Indians when I get, when I'm sitting on the beach. Okay. Mm. Then we that's won't talk about it. Jerry, tell us, where are you and what's the weather like? We well, must do I'm this. in North. I'm in northern Arkansas at the lake, and it is about 80 degrees. It's been raining the last couple of days off and on, so it's humid, but the sun's trying to come out, and it's going to be a beautiful afternoon and evening. All right. So let's go from the topic of weather to the one of, one of the most lose-lose topics that I know of, insurance. You buy <sighs> insurance, and if you use it, you're in trouble and if you don't use it you're still in trouble because you paid for something you don't use so who wants yeah. to moderate Kristen, take us away onto the insurance why no one cares or should care. you know, I know. <laughs> why no one cares and everyone cares at the same time is the problem here so you know i found this to be a really timely um topic for us to talk about and unfortunately um our guest this week, we, we're not sure. Maybe he was. Maybe he's out in the middle of using his insurance. I, I hope that it's not anything serious. Um, but maybe he's finding the value in insurance in some way, shape, or form right now. 
Um, and maybe he'll pop on later, who's to say. But one thing is for sure is if you're going to go into business, um, whether it's a franchise or otherwise, or heck, you don't even have to be in business, right? You have to have insurance, whether it's healthcare, whether it's, um, you know, homeowner's insurance, boat insurance, car insurance, whatever it is. But when you're in business, um, it really is a big deal. And so there are different types of insurance. And some of the things that uh, Ray and I want to talk about today is some of the really big um, goose eggs, I'll say, in terms of insurance that you have to carry when you own a business. And I think the biggest and ugliest one for me, certainly as I got my renewal, and I'll cover up who my vendor is, because believe it or not, I'm told that this is a great renewal price at a budget price of $42,000 a year. Um, <laughs> that does not sound like a budget price of insurance to me, but I'm told it is for a business my size. Um, workers' comp is probably the big, ugly um, egg for yeah. anybody who's in business. Um, certainly anybody who has, yeah. yeah, don't you think, right? I mean, you have employees out there, you have to have work comp, right? Your employees yeah. get hurt on the job, they're in a car accident, right? Mm -hmm. So, Ray, tell me, what, what, are you, what are you feeling about work comp? Oh, well, it's, uh, it's, it's one of those necessary evils, unfortunately. And uh, uh, one of the things that, is, uh, that I'd, I'd like to discuss a little bit about uh, workers' comp is simply that if one of your employees get hurt, I mean, and, and well, let, let me, let me uh, go step back a little bit. Let's just say you hire your neighbor to clean your house and she falls down the stairs and she's permanently disabled. She now owns your house. Yep. Whether <laughs> you know it or not. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it's nobody likes paying work comp, but it's there for a reason. And that would be one of the reasons. So if you are hiring anybody to do some work around your house, check to make sure that they're fully insured. Because uh, like I say, you know, <laughs> it could be hell. And especially, you know, I was watching my, the house next to me get a new roof and I'm watching these guys and they're just, they're just walking around like <laughs> they're walking on, you know, a flat sidewalk and they walk right up to the edge and they're, and I'm having a heart attack just watching. Them. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I'm, I'm hoping that uh, my neighbor got a good reputable company to, to do the roof job. Well, and you know, we're, we're we start right out and I did, I started right out as, as a business owner and the, the ugly part about it, right. About the cost of it, because, obviously, as I showed, I'm sitting here in front of my bill and I'm up for renewal. And that always puts me in kind of a crabby mood. The flip side to this is exactly as you started to say. And I think that, first of all, when you go into business, there's a lot of things that you're juggling, right? There's a lot of priorities you have. There's a lot of things you have to have in place. And the one thing, aside from protecting yourself and all your personal assets that you have to think about, um, is doing the right thing for your employees. That's right. Because there are a lot of jobs that we put employees in that are not necessarily ideal situations. 
Um, it doesn't matter whether you're a window cleaner, you're a roofer, you're cleaning toilets, you're mopping floors, maybe you're in a kitchen cooking, right? A lot of situations that these folks are in are situations where they can be hurt. And not all people have health insurance and not all small businesses are able to carry health insurance, right? And so unfortunately accidents happen. And unfortunately when those accidents happen, someone needs to care for those people. And someone needs to make sure that those people get proper care um, by proper doctors. My mom was a great example when she, um, before she passed a few years, a few years before she passed, she had a terrible fall on um, a wet floor at work and mm -hmm. she shattered her hip. And had it not been for work comp and a very ugly, ugly, ugly situation, uh, which did not properly get resolved, um, she may not have even been able to walk again. Um, and there's it's situations like that, that you have to, you know, my girls out here, you know, if they fall down and they get hurt, I need them to be back to work. Their families need them to be back to work. And that's why the government requires us to be insured. You know, we can't be careless business people. Um, in a franchise, they don't let you, right? If you have loans right. out on your cars, you can't go without insurance, right? It, it's, it's a necessary thing that you have to have. Is it expensive? Yes. Part of, part of the uh, contract that we have as franchise owners that you have to have insurance and they check on it. Right. So, um, when I sign, I, I'm, I get due at the end of February, so I already just did my insurance. And on the bottom of that form is, uh, you know, it's, it's, it says uh, Molly Maid is the, you know, part of the, being insured. And so they get notification that I am definitely insured. And if I'm, if they're one day late sending that report to Molly Maid, I get a phone <laughs> call immediately. Did you get your insurance renewed? <laughs> yeah, because it puts your franchisor at risk. Yeah. Right? It, well, in reality, guys, it's somewhere in between, you know, uh, between Ray and Kristen. And Ray, you put it quite succinctly, you know, it's a good news, bad news uh, mm -hmm. type thing. But the fact is, as an employer, uh, whether you've got two employees or 200 employees, uh, you simply can't be in business without it. Because to Kristen's point, you want your employees to be covered so that when they are injured, they can be taken care of properly and get back to work as soon as possible. Uh, it's the right thing to do. I mean, we can look at it from that standpoint as well. And yeah. then, but, but as a good business person, you want to manage that. So just like with any insurance policy, there are opportunities to choose, for instance, whether you pay for an occurrence out of your pocket or allow workers' comp to pay for it. Because the more occurrences you have to have workers' comp pay for, the higher your rate goes. That's right. So I'll share an example from uh, one of our businesses, and that would be, you know, the Great Clips. Uh, believe it or not, stylists cut their fingers quite often. When they're cutting hair with shears, it's I'm just they don't lose a digit. Those are sharp scissors, <laughs> like really. And you... scissors hands. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. And and Jerry, you probably know, being in that business, how much each digit is worth, right? Because people know every digit has a different value. Well, and you know, just like any uh, artist, which is what they are, they're artists. Yeah. They have certain digits that they use. Uh, because they feel more comfortable with it. So if one of those gets injured, it's going to take them a little bit of time to come back. Now, 
in that world, most of them literally go back and put some super glue on it or something like that and go right back to work. Yeah. Yep. But the reality is some of them are worse than that. So in our case, over the years, we have developed a policy that we pay for those out of our own pocket because they the, frequencies, the frequency is high, mm-hmm. the cost to fix it is low. So by managing that through cash flow, we're able to keep our our rates as low as possible and preserve those for the really big occurrences. So right. no matter what business you're in, you need to make some decisions about how you're going to handle the different varieties of those things you run into to be doing the right thing and fulfilling all the requirements of being a business owner and a franchisee, but also uh, managing money the way that you should. Yeah. And that's a really good point. I think that um, especially as a new business, um, that's, that, you know, that, that's one thing as a new business, people don't think about. You know, I've had girls who maybe they get a chemical burn on their hand, right? Something goes in their eye. They need to go to urgent care, right? It's as simple as flushing it out. It's as simple as a Band-Aid or it's a cream, something like that, right? And maybe the whole in and out price tag is two to $400, right? Now, if I turn that claim in, that claim stays on my insurance claim history for like five years. And that affects my rates yeah. for the next five years. Now, between yeah. two and four hundred dollars over at the urgent care, I might as well just write them a check, which is exactly what you say, Jerry. Because then, like right now, I've got this outstanding record, and even at forty-two thousand dollars a year, this great rate for insurance, mm-hmm. you know, and oh, it's so much better than everyone else. It doesn't feel better, but supposedly because I've been paying all these little tickets out of pocket, it's protecting that rate. And so, a lot of people don't think about it, and you feel like you're getting nickel and dimed, but the big picture, five years out, makes a huge, yeah. huge difference. Well, and most of those places take credit cards now. Literally, uh, we, if we've got a uh, Instacare or a hospital very close to some of our places, uh, they've got us on speed dial. You know, when one of our ladies walks in, they call and get the credit card number to go ahead and run that through again. Yeah. They get their money instantaneously. We get somebody back to work. Everybody's healthy, wealthy, and wise, so it works well. Yeah. Now, interesting thought too, and Jerry, you probably know this off the top of your head as well. I only know Illinois and California are probably the two worst states in terms of cost of workers' comp insurance. You know, those are the two heavy hit states, very challenging when you go to open a business in those states. So if you're out there and you're considering going into business in those two states, make sure you check into that very carefully because if you don't account for those costs when you're putting together uh, your business plan, you will be surprised. Um, is there another state, Jerry? Because I know you deal with lots of different states. Any other states that you consider to be particularly high in work comp? Well, I look at the big three whenever I'm dealing with any of those types of things. I look at New York, California, and Illinois. Those tend to be the three that get hit the hardest on almost any of these types of things. Yeah. Generally, everybody else falls below them at some point in time. Um, honestly, for the most part, the more rural the state is, the less population, the lower the, the number is for the most part. So uh, you can take that for what it's worth. But to Kristen's point, if you're looking at getting into a business, looking at all of your insurance costs is a big item because every business is going to be looked at in a different profile when it comes to that. And that's got to be a line item in your pro forma or your business plan when you're looking at cash flow analysis and you're looking to go to your bank perhaps to get loans. So making sure that you've got all of those things figured out ahead of time is critical. 
Yeah, absolutely. No, another area I was surprised, uh, just recently, I'd say in the last maybe two to three years, and for any of you um, out there that have fleets, car, uh, fleets of cars, um, you know, you can, you can, you know, chime in here as well. Um, my car insurance has gone up, the auto insurance significantly in the last few years. And um, I mean, my fleet has grown. So we've got 15 cars on the fleet right now. Um, but I was really surprised and we do, you know, if you're going to go into business again, this is something to think about, you know, if you're our mentor, our mentee, Mario, he's looking at three different brands right now, two of which require, uh, well, actually we're down to two, but three, three, three that we originally looked at two required him to own fleets of cars. One does not. Okay. The flip side is those cars give you marketing, right? So that's a real big plus, right? You've got roving, can't see mine in the parking lot behind me, but you've got roving billboards. That's a huge plus. Well, the downside that offsets it a little bit is that that becomes a higher insurance cost. So again, when you're doing your break even, you really got to look at that and think about, do I want a model that requires roving billboards? And am I prepared to offset that with costs? So you don't really have anything, right, Jerry? None of your stuff requires cars. David, yours hasn't required cars. Ray, I know you got it. Um, but, and I don't know what's going on with car insurance, but, you know, those well, are things that, again, people don't think about. Kristen, to that point, we've got, um, you know, we've got general managers and so on that are in roving billboards, as you put it, because that's <laughs> basically free advertising. Uh, so we've got, and we do watch the cost of the, uh, of the insurance on that. And frankly, you know, your uh, driver's, uh, the nicks on your driver's license uh, as, a, as an individual will drive the rates for the company up. So you've got to be aware of who's driving your vehicles and how they drive. Uh, additionally, we have added, I think, six uh, enclosed trailers over the years that are wrapped for oh. our business that we use, um, you know, for construction. We use them to store things. We park them in front of different uh, retail outlets when we're doing grand opening sales or something like that. So uh, we do have, I think we've got about 15 vehicles now that uh, our company owned that we do have to pay insurance for. So nobody consider a hairstyling uh, right. place, you know, to have those things, but we do. Yeah. I think that's great. I like the trailer idea too. Yeah. Ray, you could get a trailer to haul behind your bus. <laughs> <laughs> so you got a pillars bus with a Molly made trailer. There you go. <laughs> We're going to get this all worked out sooner or later. Yeah. yeah. David, uh, David, tell yeah. me what kind of insurance woes did you have in the restaurant business? Because obviously, I mean, there's stuff that can go wrong there too. Well, I'll, I'll tell you what, you know, everything that you, you guys already covered, but as you're going through that, the one thing that I think really was an eye opener and difficult for me as a novice, as a new business owner were the claims. Right. Yeah. So I remember, I mean, we would have a lot of slip and falls or, you know, um, oh, you know, I, I broke my tooth on a salad type of claims. Right? <laughs> and, <That> lettuce. <laughs> yeah. And and believe me, they, they, they exist. I mean, that, that kind of unscrupulous mm -hmm. um, behavior exists. And it used to drive me crazy because all of a sudden I get a lawsuit and we're, you know, sued for. And it was funny, all the amounts were always just under this threshold where if you turned them in, you were going to get, your rates would get dinged completely. So we ended up paying. So I used to call my agent 
and he would calm me down, you know, and he said, just pay the claim or just turn it yeah. in either way, forget it. So it got to the point that we would just turn him in. So Kevin, breathe, right? You know, the, yeah. <laughs> not going to get upset. We'll just turn in the claims. And that all was, it was fine and good. People were getting their $3,000 or whatever. And I'm gritting my teeth until the re renewals came due. And then my rates were either jacked up or I was canceled. Yep. Then it turned out to a point where I couldn't even find a policy. And then I had to go into some off market brand. Now my rates are doubled all because of bogus insurance comes. And that took me a long time to get my head, my head around because again, as, as, a, as a novice new business owner, you knew the claims were bogus. You wanted to fight them tooth and nail. And, and after a while, it just wasn't worth it. But you end up paying, paying the price. Yeah, but, I'll tell you. And, and, and if I had a, a, even a, a nickel for every time that my insurance agent had to, had to scrape me off the ceiling, <laughs> I, I would be on a beach somewhere right now. Yeah. Yeah. On that on that note of nickels, though, we have to pay our bills. And so when we come back, I want to talk about plus side for business owners and of having insurance and the great impact that it makes for your customers when you have good insurance. And I want to talk about EPLI. Of course you do. <laughs> wow. Right, really exciting insurance EPI. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> Reminder, folks, you can go, dial in and join this I'd like to say scintillating, but it's about insurance, and I'm sorry, scintillating and insurance does not go together. But you can dial in with questions or comments, or to snore loudly at 323-580-5755. That's 323-580-5755. Or chat live at pillarsoffranchising.com. Hey, franchise owners. How's your local marketing? Do you feel like you could use some help keeping up with your social media posts and comments and reviews? Do you wonder if you could be doing more to attract local customers? Are you able to identify new move-ins to your local area? At Westvine, we help franchisees like you reach more local customers through digital marketing. With daily monitoring, creative content, and ad placement, and customer data intelligence, we'll get your business in front of the people who want your products or services. We also work with franchisors who need an agency to handle the digital marketing for all of their locations. If you're ready to reach more local customers, give us a call at 805-265-5440 or visit us at westbine.com. That's 805-265-5440 or westbine with a y.com. And we're back to you, Kristen. All righty. So the one thing, Ray, I'll let you talk about your EIDL really quickly before we get into the pro side of all of this, yeah. so we can make okay. a clean shift. I, I just, I just want to kind of warn business owners if, if they EPLI is Employment Practices Liability Insurance, and uh, if you think that, oh, hey, I'm a good employer, I don't fire anybody, I don't mistreat my employees, you know. No one's going to sue me. I don't need this. But there's always the scam artist, the professional employee who comes in. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, well, let me just say, it happened to me. This particular person had uh, a disability that I 
felt, you know, I'd like to hire her anyway, this person. And uh, she worked out great for a couple of weeks, working really hard. And all of a sudden, boom, she didn't do anything. She would go out with the team and sit on a bed or sit on the stairs and not do anything. In other words, she wanted to get let go. So we let her go. Several months later, I get the notification that she's suing on uh, wrongful dismissal because of her, because even though I hired her because of her disability, she is suing because she said I fired her because of disability. So at that time, I didn't have the insurance, but yeah. I, and I was able to fight that myself. But yeah. if, if in order to hire a, an attorney for that type of situation is at least $10,000 right from the go. That's what he's going to ask for. Yeah, I mean, that's, and that's one thing that I think, I mean, I always like to think that, um, you know, those professional employees are the exception to the rule, right? And you want to yeah, think oh, they're the, definitely, yeah, without the, a doubt. The, right, the few and far between. And I like to think that, um, as business owners, we are um, a bit savvier than than most. Um, mm -hmm. And I think in, in some cases, a lot of us are. And I think in some cases, a lot of us are probably a little more naive than we should be. Mm -hmm. um, but I think the important thing, um, you know, just recently, we have been plagued, not me personally, but the industry, I think, has been plagued with some of those claims. And that's why the EPIL has been pushed on people is to get insurance for that. Now, well, I think that that insurance is probably very valid and needed. I'm also more of the, hey, let's find some HR professionals that help prevent us from getting into those situations. And quite frankly, you know, one of my favorite things, oh, there's an ambulance in my parking lot. One of my favorite things to do is to make sure that if I have to dismiss somebody, that the dismissal paperwork for unemployment is so buttoned up that if they claim that you've let them go for the wrong reason, there's absolutely no doubt about it in the dismissal paperwork that it wasn't for a reason of disability. Mm -hmm. It yeah. was for a reason of performance. And it wasn't because of soft skills performance. It's because their inability to perform a specific, um, you know, job per mm -hmm. their job description or per the rules and regulations. You know, you have to be You're right. You're right. Except if there's a disability involved. Right. right. <laughs> then, then, especially in states like Illinois, the empathy is towards the employee. Yeah, well, and that's, yeah, Gary, go ahead. I can see your, your wheels are yeah. turning and the smoke's coming out. Yeah, well, you know, the problem is we've, you guys, this is a great conversation. I hope everybody listening out there is taking notes because it's phenomenal, uh, the information that's coming out. You know, we've got about 200 employees and we could not survive without that level of insurance for coverage because no matter how buttoned up our, our practices are and our policies and our paperwork and the exit interviews and all that kind of stuff, um, if they put a claim in, if they get uh, the state or an attorney involved, in almost every case, you're going to pay them off because yep. it's cheaper than fighting it to raise yeah. point. Mm -hmm. So having the insurance in the background 
is again just another line item on your pro forma your business plan and you know it's tax deductible so yeah. it's just good insurance i i hate to be overinsured but i just think um for us at least it would be a no-brainer for us to continue to do that just to make sure we don't have to deal with those things breathe go to bed and sleep at night and not worry about it anymore and that's exactly it yeah it's not ex uh, really expensive either i mean no. yeah it, it's a, it has a cost and it's a lot but it's you know, when you consider what you would get out of it and, and and some of these insurance companies the one i'm with as an example they can give you advice you know you call a hotline about employment practices and they'll say oh you can do this or you can't do that yeah well, I know that certainly out in California, there were several groups that um, of franchisees that we that we know that had pulled together to get some HR resources and and mm -hmm. help with those things. But the, the point I wanted to get to before we leave the exciting conversation of uh, insurance mm -hmm. is the one thing that I think insurance works really well for is assuring your customers, especially if you're in a home services or home based type situation where you're going into a client's home and and for us you know that's really important because we're in what i always consider your most private space right i'm we're coming into the space that the outside world has never seen right this is where yeah, where you the, live this castle that's the you know yeah and, and this kingdom. is where all your stuff is this is where all your tchotchkes are all your irreplaceable items you know and and maybe it's from the dollar tree but somebody really special gave it to you or maybe it's a yadro and it's irreplaceable it doesn't matter but we have to be able to assure them that if god forbid something happened we have insurance to help make it right if somebody falls down and hurts themselves and we've had lots of slip and falls right it happens because the girls are hauling vacuums and the floors are wet and the cords get tangled no matter how many times we teach them how to walk down the stairs and carry a vacuum right <laughs> things happen and the important thing is that the homeowners have to know that no one's coming after you in those cases you know they're the window cleaners oh my goodness those guys a lot of those franchises and the likes, they have to carry insurance and they also have some of their cleaners carry insurance on top of that because it's so very expensive. Mm -hmm. um, and again, you know, I want to make sure and, you know, Jerry, I asked you this last week, is it still a good time to buy a franchise? Because some of these <laughs> topics we get on and they seem so doom and gloom. And I don't want people to feel like we're trying to be doom and gloom. But I think the one thing that um, we try to pride ourselves on on the show is reality. Like this is truth. This is the real world. This is the stuff goes on. And we want to make sure that if you're out there, you're looking to buy a franchise, make sure you get this stuff down and make sure you plan for it because you can make it work. It, it's very doable, but you got to know what's out there and it's got to be on your business plan so that you're ready for it. Well, and this is not doom and gloom. This is, as you said, it's reality, you know, uh, forewarned is forearmed is, a, is an old saying. And literally what we're trying to help everybody understand is these are some factors like in any business that you need to consider and you need to add into your, your budget and those types of things. Be a, a, aware of them because as we talked about slip and falls, David talked about those. We've had them in our establishments, those kinds of things. Well, if you know that danger is out there, you can get coverage uh, through insurance to help you with it which is a positive thing, but also there are things that you can do to mitigate the occurrence of those things, to, to lower the incidence of those. David's probably the, 
you know, got a, a, a workbook that shows how to do some of those things from his experience. But certainly we learned a lot. Frankly, we learned a lot through uh, somebody that did a, uh, an injury claim against us, an employee. Um, and we won't go into all the details of that today. But, but the fact is, knowing these situations are out there is how you become prepared to run your own business yep. and react as you go through it. So it's not doom and gloom. It's just preparing. It, it is what it is. Fred, I see you got something you got to say that's burning on your mind. And, and it might just have to do with um, something technical. But no one can hear you now, yeah, Fred. Like, turn off your mute button. <laughs> He's the tech Sorry. guy. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. I forget to mute, unmute, things like that. Um, so you're everyone's talking about uh, workman's comp is pretty much there. Um one of the insurances we as a marketing firm deal with is errors and omission, which I guess in David's oh. um, in David's for Buffalo Wild Wings, that would be like you forget to bring the hot sauce with the wings or in Jerry's <laughs> case, it would be uh, turning somebody's hair green when they wanted it yellow or in Ray or Kristen's uh, case, I guess you don't clean the toilet. So talk a bit. So. Do, fr how, do franchisees carry errors and omission uh, insurance? If so, what's been your experiences with it? Now, we, we don't carry that, but I was thinking of uh, maybe uh, Buffalo Wild Wings carries Dram Shop. Carries what? Dram Shop. Holy mackerel. Um, yeah, no, that's an old term, I think. That's my <laughs> I was, you brought that way up. Um, I mean, liquor liability, obviously, is, is a different. Uh, I mean, there's so many different layers of insurance and restaurant yeah. business. But definitely liquor liability was one. Um, it really stung us a long time ago. Again, something to think about from an individual to, to an umbrella of, of, or to a chain. Um, many, many, many years ago, I believe it was the New York Giants, right? This goes to show you how things get interrelated. Um, our Buffalo Wild Wings had just gone public, so this might be 20 years ago. I don't really remember the time. But an incident, hap incident happened at a New York Giants football game where a fan was inebriated, fell out of stands, and died. Naturally, all the lawsuits and everything else. So our um, legal team, the corporate, right away, you know, made us all buy an umbrella insurance policy over and above our other insurance policies mm -hmm. to protect the whole brand and to protect each other. So another layer of insurance that we didn't see coming, yep. but, you know, um, it, it was preemptive to Jerry's point. I, I love that forewarned is, is, you know, forearmed. And, and I, I think, you know, you don't, you have to protect your business as you say, you don't want to be overinsured. And there's some things that all of a sudden come out of left field that you, that you weren't you weren't prepared for, but it's, it's cost of doing business. And I and I was thinking about this on the flip side when you said doom and gloom. Hopefully, those those that are listening, they're thinking about getting in business, understand, hey, all these businesses exist and have these things in place. So it's not the end of the world, number one. But number two, now hopefully you're looking at businesses a little bit differently as a consumer to go, wow, it isn't just look at all these sales they're doing. There's a lot of stuff behind the scenes that yeah. a business is dealing with that most consumers have no idea is going on. So yeah. a little bit of both, but, but it's a necessary evil. And, and, and it, there is a, you know, there's a reason it protects a lot of people. Yeah. 
Well, and that's, a, that's the other advantage, right, to being in a franchise, because the franchisor is going to say, you have to have, at a minimum, this is how much you need to carry, and this is the type of insurance you need to carry, or you can't have your franchise. And, and I think that, again, at least that minimizes, or at least you get the minimum coverage. Now, of course, the best thing I think anybody can always have is to make sure you still have an umbrella, because depending on the type of corporation you are, um, there's a, a really good reason to have an umbrella as well to protect your family, especially in a situation where you have, you know, perhaps car accidents with deaths involved and things of that nature, things can get really, really ugly. So, you know, we make sure that we carry those. Um, but the new, I'll call it new to me, okay, latest and greatest to me, and which I thought Fred was going to bring up would be the, the one for um, like cybersecurity. Um, I know, I don't know, Ray, if you added that onto your policy, but I know we- uh, I believe I ours. did, yeah, on the last go around, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, that was one that was encouraged yeah. because of all the credit card fraud and things like that that we added to ours. And although we all had to go to um, a new, you know, compliance platform for credit card security and things of that nature, um, we still have to carry a, a policy for that to make sure that we're protecting our consumers yeah. and our clients from the bad boogeyman out there who likes to go yeah. in and play on computers to make sure that our, our information is secured. So there's a lot of stuff out there. Um, again, you know, we, we just want to make sure that when we're here on the show, we paint a picture as full and, and clear as possible to people looking to purchase a franchise, make sure that, you know, as you're out there taking notes on all the stuff you have to remember, um, you can go back and reference the show. We wanna make sure that, you know, we try to turn every stone that we can and say, hey, don't forget about this. Um, if you become one of our mentees uh, on the Million Dollar Mentor Show, these are the types of things that we talk about with you one-on-one. -on -one. These are the type of things that the mentors review and make sure that we haven't forgotten and that you have built into your performance uh, to make sure that when you go out there and you're getting ready to sign your franchise agreement, you are 100% ready and prepared for what the next step is. So with that, Fred, do you wanna take us to the last commercial of this segment? Yeah, but I resent being called a, what would you say, a sneaky evil person playing on Are computers? you one of them? Hey, I'm the- I'm the boogeyman there. I'm also the boogeyman to the boogeyman, but we won't go into that. So, well, we'll... I, I was referring to the people who go in and hack around on the computers looking for credit card, you know, information, but I, I didn't think that described you. I mean, you're one of those IT boogeymen, but you're not like the bad guy. No, I'm one of the guys the in the, you know, on the white horse that rides up and wipes out everybody in front because after all, Kill them all, let God sort it out. But we'll go to our commercial on that note. <laughs> the Franchise Woman is a bi-monthly digital magazine that empowers women as they navigate the franchising industry by providing relevant news, tools, advice, and inspiration. We are a resource for women who are seeking to own their own businesses, improve their existing businesses, find creative solutions, and take advantage of franchise opportunities. We feature women in the business who best exemplify our ideals and have something to teach our readers. In addition to our exclusive articles relating to the female entrepreneur, we also feature brands that are geared for women. Women have become the fastest growing sector in business ownership and have become a powerful, influenceable force fueling the economy. The Franchise Women will give you the news that is relevant to you to help you navigate the path of successful franchise ownership. By women, for women, and about women. We are the Franchise Women. Join us today 
at www.thefranchisewoman.com. And as a quick reminder, you can dial in to ask questions at 323-580-5755. That's 323-580-5755. And Heidi will talk to you before we put you on the air. Take it away, Kristen and David. Hey, David. What are we talking about today? Uh, I got on mute, right? All right. So there well, you last, go. last week we talked about um, not giving up, right? No matter what the size of the project is, and there's a way to get the money if, if it all makes sense. So I thought today, you know, that was that was a good general um, overview to say, hey, there's more, you know, there's more ways to do it than just money out of your own pocket and and trying to get a loan. So I thought today we figure out how to kind of structure a deal. Let's make a deal, so to speak, right? The title of the title of the segment. You should have so, a wheel or something. Let's make a wheel deal. Make a deal, right? So we spin it. And, and I think it answers the question is, how can I get what I need? Who can help me? And I started thinking about it a little bit. And it really comes down to this part of the deal. This doesn't happen right up front. I started thinking more about this. Um, the worst thing someone can do is go ask somebody for money Right. So go ask somebody for money and not have a clear presentation to give them. And presentation is a vague term. So I think it's just like anything else. You've let's assume that you have gone through all of the steps and you've settled on this particular business, whatever it is. And now you've gone through and, and you've you've done your analysis, you've done your business plan, you've done your pro forma statements. If you don't know what those are, those are just a projection of your revenues and expenses and your profitability, because that's what you would have to take to give, get a loan anyways. And that's what you should be looking at to even decide if this business is a viable business for you to purchase. Right. So, so for people who've not, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but for yeah. people who've not ever done anything like that or aren't familiar with the terms, it's kind of like tell the story, right? So the person you're going to talk to or you look for as a partner, put your story together is what you're saying, right? Yeah, that's that's a start, right? So it's got to be not now you're looking at this financial statement. You say, okay, I'm buying this business model because for the investment I'm making, I can see this bottom line profit. So now you're sitting there going, boy, this looks nice. Otherwise, I wouldn't be doing it, right? So this looks nice. Now, how can I get the money to do it? So that's the first question. And then you have to look at your bottom line. You have to look at you and, and try to project out further. Is this going to be a single unit? Are you going to open up multiple units, et cetera, et cetera? What do I have to offer somebody else? Mm-hmm. And you can't do it without knowing it because you don't know how much you're going to need to borrow because then you're going to, if you're going to borrow something, we'll get, we're getting the structure in a second, but if you're going to borrow, have you're going to borrow from somebody they're going to put in money then you have to pay them back so that's going to come off your cash flow and off your net then you say okay what if i want to give someone a piece of the equity meaning a piece of my business and we'll get into partnership active and passive and all that here in a second too how much am i willing to give up because then if you're treating your minority shareholders properly you know they have you know you 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 know, they're going to want a portion, you know, to be treated fairly of that, of of the the profit. So you have to start there. You have to know what, what the business, whether the business is viable or not, if it's something you're willing to invest in, if the return on investment is proper and then say, okay, how can I get it? What am I willing to do to get into business? Okay. So that there's no right or wrong 
blueprint on that. So here's what I mean by that. There's businesses I've started where I've said, you know what, we'll be equal. We'll put in the same amount of money and we'll have equal amount of, of equity. Okay. Mm -hmm. So whether it's four partners, we all have 25%. Now they may or may not be silent or active. It depends, right? I mean, it depends on who's running the business or whatever, but, but they might say, Hey, for this business, I want a piece of the equity. I want a piece of the action. Right. I have to decide, is that worth it to me to give up controlling interest? I typically don't give up controlling interest if I can help it. I mean, 51%. I'll always try to own 51%. But there's sure. been deals I've made where I haven't because I've trusted my partners. I talk about that a little bit later. There's also another way to structure it to say, hey, I want to retain more of the equity. I just need some cash now. But this is this cash flows well. I feel I can pay back loans without a problem. I just am not getting them from the bank. So the other people could be the bank, so to speak. So you might say, hey, let if I need, I'll just draw a number, $100,000. I'll give you 10% of that. And then the accountants will work out what that equates to. And the rest I'll pay back to you in a loan. Right, right. You're and still I think retaining 90%. But, but the, you know, if the bank was turning you down, is it so hard to say, I'll give up 10% to make sure I'm in business? For me, it never was, especially when I was starting out. I mean, Absolutely. First, our very first one, we, we gave away 30, I shouldn't say gave away, <laughs> gave to investors 30% of our business. Right. And, and, I, and I'm emphasizing that to say, we still had 70%. One, I'm not a greedy person. So that was, that was fine. And I loved the idea that I was making my investors money. That's the other thing. You have to really enjoy the fact that you're making them money because right. they had great faith in you that you're going to do that. So, well, and part of that, David, is, is to understand that your goal was not to just have one, right? Because right. You have to understand that when you go into a partnership, you're looking down the road, right? And so you have to be really careful, A, to make sure you got the right partner, B, to make sure that you take care of those partners, as, as you have said, so that if you need to go back to those same partners for maybe a second deal or a third deal, right, that, that they're there for you and that they would vouch for you if you have to go get a third or a fourth partner. So I think that's really important. That's correct. And, and you, you hit on something else briefly, too, is is let's let's wind it all back a little bit even though i i took you know we we, we took hit 70 percent. so we we brought on investors not partners investors at this point in time they were silent it was our business we ran it we sent them checks right i mean and we paid them back their loans but we gave up 70 or 30 percent of business retained 70 percent now if i was unwilling to do that my life's completely different I mean, that started off a 28-year journey of multiple, multiple units, and 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 quite frankly, you know, a very strong income over those 28 years. So giving up 30% in that, and again, you can always structure it to say, hey, at a certain time, I'm going to buy you out. Here's a buyout provision. You get with accountants and attorneys, and you lay out how you would like this to look, and they'll figure out the numbers and, and how to and how to put that together. But that's I look back at that all the time and I hear so many people say right off the bat, I don't want partners. I don't want to give up any equity. Hold on a second. It's very short-sighted. Yeah, but and that's great. I might've said that in the very beginning. And guess what? The reality is I wouldn't be sitting here today unless I said, you know what? I need some help. I want to get started, right? Yeah. So I got started and it worked out. So, 
but you have to be smart. And again, those were investors, not partners. We'll talk about partners next week, I believe. And, mm -hmm. and that's, and that's going to be a fantastic show next week when we start talking about how to, how to create the partnerships and the pros and cons. But for right now, what I'm speak, speaking of is strictly investors, equity, and loans, kind of all how you can structure those differently to meet your needs and meet the needs of the people who are risking their capital and believing in you. Right. You That's, know, I want to I bring something to light with this to kind of, um, because you do a really great job of making it in plain English where a lot of people can understand. And sometimes um, I have to, I call it for myself, kind of keep it simple, stupid, even even more so. Because when I think back to my first year and the fact that we didn't get investors and we did it all on our own, um, and our financials were off, right? Because some of our projections were bad. And so my time to break even was severely off. And so I think it's really important that when you're out there and you're validating with people and you're building your projections, you're doing your break-evens, trying to determine, okay, at what point can I pay off my, my partners or my investors? That's where making sure when you validate, you really get the best inputs possible from the franchisees. If you've got them in your area, I know with your, with your Buffalo Wild Wings, the first one, you really didn't have anybody to go off of. But for, for people out there who are looking to buy a franchise right now, you really want to make sure those financials are tight, especially if you have somebody that you're using as an investor. You don't want to say, hey, in six months, I'll have you paid back if your break-even isn't until month nine or 10. Because then you're setting yourself up, especially if you're going to be, you know, counting on to be the primary still breadwinner in your family, and you're not pulling any cash out of the business until maybe it's 12 months down the road. You have to really make sure that you have some financial sense as you go down this. And I think, David, the things you're talking about are so very important and, and making sure people have good numbers. It's, it's a garbage in, garbage out, right? So if we're not careful, you can really mislead yourself and your investors. And, and exactly correct. And I think that's the value we bring to people listening to us is, you know, you can be menteed through that type of process. So you're just not out there. If you've never heard of these concepts um, before and, and, you're, and you're intimidated by it, you don't have to be, we can help you through it. I mean, I was fortunate because my prior corporate world job, you know, that, that's kind of what, what I did. And I, I think it became second nature to me. So to, to put together deals, I mean, this whole week, that's pretty much all I've been doing with some other people, um, you know, that, hey, I'm looking to buy a business and I don't have this much money. And, you know, I spew what I just spewed here to that person, right? I mean, so give, I'm not going to do it for them, but gives them an idea, a path to go, you know, I, 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 it gets their wheels spinning. How can, I, how can I structure this so I can actually move forward? Yeah, absolutely. Well, David, as always, I keep going, okay, how much money do we need now? Where are we going? Where are we going? Uh, we're good. Believe me, I got a lot up my sleeve. I never stop. So. I know. I know. Every every time we go on or we're recapping, you know, last week's show or whatnot, I'm like, oh, he's got something else brewing. I can just feel it. <laughs> so thank you for today for talking okay. about Let's Make a Deal. I almost feel like we need some closing music. Um, any, any last thoughts that you have for us today before we uh, start getting excited about next week? No, I can't wait till next week. We really tie this up, put a bow on it a little bit. Yeah. You want to give us a teaser for next week? Well, I think we're going to do the pros and cons of partnerships, right? I spoke, I spent a lot of time last week and today talking about in investors. Next week, we talk about 
partnerships and whether those are active or, or, or passive. So I think I'll save the rest of it for next week. I think that'll be a fun, a fun show or a great show to listen to for sure. Awesome. Kind of like match.com. I can't <laughs> wait. It really is. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much, David. We really appreciate okay. it. And now we have Mr. Jerry Akers. Hey, Kristen. Hey, Jerry. What's going on in D.C. this week? Nothing good. Nothing good is going on in D.C. And, uh, you know, I, I'll, I'll get into that in a second. I just want to let our listeners know that advice that David is giving is phenomenal advice. So I hope some people are taking some notes on that kind of stuff. And I hope I get to talk about fun stuff someday, like guerrilla marketing or something like that, instead of all the great stuff going on in Washington, D.C. But like we talked about earlier, gloom and doom. This is not gloom and doom. This is reality. It's yep. things that impact your business, and we just need to be aware of it and factor that in when we're making decisions about a franchise or being in business at all for yourself. And I will also share that the that your franchisor is tracking these things and typically will help you with some of the decisions and interactions. And the International Franchise Association is another great uh, opportunity for you to be engaged with your, uh, you know, your representatives in Washington, D.C., but this past week, uh, President Biden signed an executive order, and I had, to, I had to make notes here so I make sure I get it right. It's the executive no order on worker organizing and empowerment. Now, I, this is not a political statement, but I'm not sure that we need our president, uh, you know, coming up with an EO related to uh, organizational things like that. Uh -huh. And it relates back to, get this. It relates back to the National Labor Relations Act of 1935. <laughs> I Anybody think know what changed. was happening in 1935? I think they were handwritten time slips back then. It, it is crazy. We were recovering from the greatest depression in history. And so now we're relating everything going on today to what happened back then. And so... The realities of hiring and employing and those kinds of things are completely different today. But yeah. in essence, what's going on is, um, uh, you know, they're suggesting that the, the um, federal government is going to push more um, union organizing and those kinds of things as far as within their ranks. Mm -hmm. But also they're suggesting that that should be pushed out to the general community and all of our organizations. So you know, we just need to be prepared for it. There are some things going on there that you need to uh, know about. They, they established a task force uh, that uh, starts out with 20 cabinet members uh, looking at the opportunities. I love to use that, you know, paraphrase uh, opportunities uh, to lead by example uh, in this arena. And uh, it's already, you know, the, the president is suggesting uh, and encouraging the Senate to pass it. To, to pass the PRO Act, which we talked about last yeah. week, which is, you know, a part of this whole picture. So mm -hmm. really, this is another step along that continuum. And again, we just need to be prepared for whatever comes out of it. You know, it's really kind of interesting because, um, you know, I grew up in a union household, right? My dad was a strong union guy. And I, my whole corporate life before here was in a non-union environment and I won't make a political statement either. I will agree that I think the world has greatly changed from the 30s to today. Um, I can tell you that small business um, 
certainly has its own challenges without the complications of putting unions in place. I think that that would really be detrimental. And you know, I think the concern for me is that as a small business, um, it, it just seems like, you know, every, oh, the, you know, the, the country's built on the back of small business. Well, geez, please, let's stop breaking our backs because there's a lot of stuff going on right now that we need to be really actively involved in to help protect our businesses. You know, we're the challenge for me right now is, you know, I've got girls who none of my girls are skilled workers, right? And so for an unskilled worker to go into a union situation and I have minimum wage issues I'm dealing with, I mean, my, my clients are having a hard time right now dealing with price increases due to COVID prices going up, supply issues going up. Now I've got, you know, the wage issues going up and then now potentially, let's just say that these union situations go up and I've got, you know, now a housekeeping janitorial union formalized. I mean, how much is, how much can we take, right? I mean, it, it, it's really crazy. And, and, you know, my industry is, is again, unskilled workers. And maybe, maybe people feel differently if, if you're in an industry that has highly skilled workers. I don't know. And maybe for you, Jerry, you know, your people are, are artists. It's, it's specific training. I don't know. How do you feel about it for you? I, for me, it would cripple me. Well, you know, Kristen, I think I, as well as most employers today in the modern era, pay people pretty well for yeah. their skill level and their experience and those kinds of things, because it's a very competitive labor market out there and probably will be for the foreseeable future. You know, I competed in, I, I ran a union shop for many years in my previous life and uh, uh, competed with non-union shops uh, for both labor and uh you know, jobs. And frankly, our pricing for the jobs was very comparable. Mm -hmm. And the non-union guys were making as much or more than my guys were and didn't have to pay union dues. So yeah. again, I'm, I'm not taking a stance on unions. I'm just suggesting we need to look at both sides of this. So from an ownership standpoint, you know, when you get into the union side of it, it's another hurdle a business has to go over. You not only have the additional cost, but you've got negotiations and some of those types of things that have to take place uh, generally every three to five years, depending on the union you're dealing with. And uh, that's a never ending ongoing type thing. So, you know, my hope is that some, you know, reality strikes in Washington, D.C. over the next few weeks and we're able to fight this off. But uh, I would I would make a little bit of a stump speech here for everybody listening um, you know, if you're thinking about getting bus in business or you own your own business, it'd be a great time to call your senator and say, um, please don't vote positive for this thing. It's going to kill small business. You know, it, small business will react. What D.C. fails to recognize is no matter what hurdles or burdens they put on us, we'll deal with it. Unfortunately, our price will go up. When raises in price happen, they typically happen, uh, you know, hurt lower income and middle income people more than they do upper income people. So everything they're trying to fix with all of this stuff is going to ultimately probably come back to cost more than, uh, you know, what the benefits will be out of it. I do find it telling that one of the first people to speak up on this uh, new task force uh, was a gentleman who's the president of the International Federation of Professional and Technical Engineers. And they basically represent the federal government and state agencies and the employees there. 
And uh, they applauded uh, the president for walking the walk and using his bully pulpit. That's a quote, bully pulpit, which means he's forcing it through in spite of other people having a suggestion that maybe it's not the right uh, thing to do, geared towards increasing union uh, membership here in the United States. Again, not a statement on union membership from my standpoint, just that's mm -hmm. what the quote was. And, uh, and one more quote I have that I will give to you. And uh, I think this is pretty telling too. And this is, um, this is one that really hits at the, the crux of this. An official at one union was quoted as saying, no money, no support of PRO, or the PRO Act is what they're talking about. And in essence, what they're saying is, you know, uh, the, the unions are big supporters of, of politicians. And they're saying, if you don't support the PRO Act, they're potentially not going to donate money to your um, to your efforts to get reelected. So, you know, that's a threat that uh, seems to be un-American at its very base, I think. Again, not a yeah. political statement. I'm just thinking not really a positive thing to do. Right. So that's that's the news on that front, Kristen, and it all wraps back into the pro act. Wow, Jerry, you have a lot of work to do there. <laughs> well, it just got worse, Kristen, if I can, the, just today, and it came in on my phone while we were on the program, the labor secretary today said most gig workers, which would be Uber, Lyft, uh, anybody that works uh, as a piecemeal, you know, that could be yep. photographers, sure. uh, copywriters, all those kinds of things are gig workers. They should be considered full-time by their employers. So there's going to be more to be said and more to be argued about before all of that is settled. Oh my gosh. And on another topic, the Ninth Circuit uh has affirmed that in fact truck drivers should be considered uh employees as opposed to independent contractors oh they'll love that well and you know the vast majority of the people impacted by these things and i'm talking about the employees that are impacted by it don't really want this stuff because yeah. they understand in reality they're going to be worse off when it's done and I will use as an example um, the big three states that we talked about earlier. Uh, when they raised uh, hourly wages, most restaurant workers uh, lost tips. Yes. Because um, the people that are buying the food have a fixed amount in mind of what they're going to do. And when the cost of the bill comes up to X, they're willing to give Y for a tip. When that cost goes up, because employers include the changes in labor in that cost, then the tips go down. In fact, uh, some of the some of the employers, some of the restaurants uh, put signs up saying no tips. So people actually made less money in those situations than before they got the raises. So enough of my bully pulpit for the day. What else do we want to talk about? <laughs> wow. You know, every time we do the, these the government segments, I get off here and I go, oh, my gosh, I don't know where to start. This is like a big puzzle and there are pieces everywhere. And how do you even begin to start fixing all this? Because it's really so complicated. And, you know, kind of as you said, boy, if, if you guys are out there and you're thinking about buying a business, buying a franchise, I mean, there is no time like the present to start getting involved in your local government, the national government, and really just start following the stories and make sure you understand what is going on so that if, if, if getting into business is what you're going to do, make sure you have a voice because... You know, there's nothing worse than being somebody who sits back and complains, but does nothing about it. 
Well, and the silver lining, Kristen, as I mentioned before, and I want to kind of roll this out with a positive note, is that when you buy a franchise, your franchisor is more worried about this than you are because yeah. you're worried about perhaps one or two locations and he's worried about 600. And Absolutely. so they're very engaged. Uh, they may have lobbyists and they're more than happy to pass that information along to their franchisees to help them understand what's going on, answer their questions and help them get engaged. And truly the IFA, International Franchise Organization is, is a pillar if I can steal <laughs> the show's uh, tagline is a pillar for the franchise community in that uh, they've got lobbyists in DC looking out for the franchise world. Um, mm -hmm. They have, I mean, you could literally call in today and they would guide you through some of these things. They will set you up to talk to your uh, representatives, literally make appointments for you and give you talking points. So, and, and by the way, for as a franchisee, it's free to belong to the International Franchise Association. You just have to sign up yep. and on your phone, you will get warnings when a vote is happening and you need to reach out to your uh, your representative. So, I mean, there's lots of positive things here. If you're thinking about starting a business that would lead me to do a franchise versus a, you know, an old fashioned type of, of business. So yeah, that's the positive side. It's, it, it's always better in numbers, right? It, it, Absolutely. You and you know, you, you get a chance to commiserate with people, and I say that in a positive sense because you do a lot of brainstorming on how you're dealing with the changes in the political climate and how that impacts your business. And others that are in your same franchise organization may have already dealt with that and have a way that you can use. So there is power in numbers as opposed to being a single practitioner. Absolutely. I thank you for all the work you do, Jerry, for the show and for franchisees everywhere. And uh, again, we appreciate having you on the show and contributing all that you do for us. You bet. Thanks, Kristen. All right, Fred, are you taking us? You are. See, I just had this chill all over my arms. I got goosebumps that something weird and freaky was about to happen. So I've been contemplating one of two, um, two down the rabbit hole questions. One is based on time travel. One is based on the zombie apocalypse. So, do you want to go back Ooh, to 19, Do you want to go back to 9, 1935 or do you want to um, hypothesize what would happen after Washington DC is eaten by zombies? Well, that might be more fun. <laughs> All right. Let's so let Ray choose. Let, let's let's let Ray choose. He he's, he's he hasn't got to talk for a while. It's Ray's choice. Okay, we'll let Ray's choice, but I want to I want you to realize that Ray doesn't have to go back in time to 1935. He just remembers it. Oh! Ooh, wow. Dang, he that went there. Oh, he went there, wow. Ray. You better get off mute, Ray. I know you got something sad wow. to say back. You're on mute, Ray. You're on mute. Hit the button, Ray. Yeah, well... <laughs> Nineteen thirty-five. Well, that that's a little bit before I was born, but not that much. <laughs> wow! All right. So, if you could go back to nineteen thirty-five, and you could change what Washington did to make a better world for franchising and small business, what would it do? What would you do? And what do you think? it would change now. 
So in other words, you make a change back then, whatever you're going to make the change, how would it have changed things now? Yeah, kind of an interesting well, one. Is go, ooh, David jumps on it. Go, get uh, it, go. I, I, well, I'm, I'm, <clears throat> I'm a lot. I'm a, how do I say this politely? I'm a lot younger than Ray, so if he wasn't around in 1935, I certainly wasn't. <laughs> however, yeah. however, I will say this: to fast forward it to now, that I've been saying this forever. I just we all just want less government regulation just just put the things in that make sense let us do our thing um quit kind of stay out of our pockets right i mean that the nickel and diming and next thing you know we're we're the bad guys get the stigma off of us that every small business owner is making millions of dollars and are sitting there with their feet up on their desk let's just realize it's no different than it was way back in the day when you were trading pelts for, for you know, for you know, for for grain. I don't know. I mean, we're yeah. all trying to survive and do our thing, but we could do do with a lot less government interference. Okay, I couldn't so, agree more. Quick question, Rebecca. Everybody's feeling upside down. Comment to one of our listeners. Ray, do you remember pelts and and what he said? <laughs> Pelts Ooh. for grain or something. I don't Pelts know. for grain. Do you remember Bart? Oh, Never mind. No, I, I I I traded jewelry back then. Okay. <laughs> Score one for Ray. <laughs> well, that was the '60s, Ray. That was the '60s. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and New Orleans. Right. Who wants us? Who well, wants to improve on David's answer? Well, I don't know if I can improve on it, Fred, but I certainly have a couple things put in. I'm also a history geek, so I kind of understand uh, the situation going on in 1935 that drove this original bill. Uh, you know, we were still coming out of the Great Depression, and certainly during the Great Depression, uh, people who worked for a living were abused. That's the bottom line. I mean, uh, the robber barons were getting the opportunity to get really cheap labor because everybody was starving, so people would work for pennies. So having the government step in and create the National Labor Relations Board and come up with some you know, processes that went into that to protect workers was, was critical at that juncture. However, um, understanding that history moves forward and things change, uh, I believe the government should have kept that somewhat flexible so that uh, when they wrote it, uh, they keyed it into a uh, variety of things, you know, perhaps perhaps the indexes that we deal with and those kinds of things. So some way to do that. And really, at the end of the day, as we forward in today, I have a little bit of a, uh, a, a problem with the government using something that, you know, the parameters that happened in 1935 to make decisions and regulations uh, today when the labor market and the way that we deal with our employees is completely different than it was in that era. So that is my two cents. Hmm. Ray, yep. Kristen? Well, I, I, I speak a little bit about uh, going back to that time and, and how it was back then and uh, and unions going up to unions now. I worked for United States Steel for about 18 months. During that time, three people died on the job. Okay. So that wasn't that long ago. It wasn't in the 
So we're talking we're talking about the late '60s, all right. And what resulted, I think, out, out, out of uh, some of those things that happened back in 1935, because employee employers treated employees very poorly with no regard at all for their safety. And, and the reason I mentioned U.S. Steel is because during that 18-month period, three people died, and all these safety things were, you know, we had a safety meeting, a 30-minute safety meeting every single morning, and you had to wear certain clothing, you know, metatarsal shoes and hard hat and long sleeve shirts and all this. If it was that way back in the late 60s, what was it like back then? Oh, yeah. You know, because there was there was total disregard for people. Yep. And, and, Absolutely. Yeah. So yep. that leaves you, Kristen. Now, unfortunately, this whole thing gets twisted around and and control and taken advantage of. So. Yeah, and I think that's where the, this becomes a really complicated issue and and you know we we've talked and, and i aired my grievances so to speak a little bit too even about minimum wage but the reality is you know you could take, you can take something as simple as that that and i don't know because i'm not a history buff and nor do i know what happened in 1935 and i only know the experiences that i went through with my family being union families and then me not being a union family and some of the discussions that we had right I think a lot of the points that you guys have made are very valid, right? First of all, back in the day, and even today, several, several, there are several instances in which companies do not act responsibly, right? Whether that's in taking advantage of their workers, whether that's in um, not creating safe environments for people to work, maybe it's in situations in which, um, for whatever reason, though it's illegal, uh, they have workers that they don't have insured. Maybe the workers aren't even legal, so therefore they don't insure them and then they get hurt on a job and it's just kind of like sayonara, too bad for you kind of stuff. And I think that's what creates the situations in which unions are brought in or created because there's such a need to clean up the dirty mess that's been created by those who are irresponsible. I will also say uh, growing up at one point in subsidized housing, that when I look at a minimum wage, um, even at $15 an hour, and if I look at my mom, who's a single mom with two kids, and fast forward to, let's say, today's um, market and, and prices, could she have raised my brother and I on $15 an hour? I don't know if she could. I don't know if $15 an hour is actually a fair minimum wage for a single mom with two kids, right? So I really kind of, you know, and, and, we, and we, we try to not get into politics. And, and what's interesting is I was really far one way in politics at one point, and then I owned a business, and then I kind of teeter back and forth because you look at issues in so many different ways before you own a business, after you own a business, and then really just as a person, and I think as a parent, um, and I think that what, what keeps me up at night is that so many of these issues, something as simple as you would think, right, as minimum wage, <laughs> is really not so simple. It's not so simple if you've been in different situations, if you've grown up and you've experienced 
the single mom with two kids and how she makes it work on at that point at that time was like 525 an hour right or today it's, it's not even 15 dollars an hour right it's like 975 how does she make that work and you know often she's working two jobs well guess what then who helps keep her kids in line and they're out in the street getting in trouble at night because she's on her second shift like those things keep me awake so well, I don't want to see a union come in. I think it's the wrong thing for small business. What helps make it right for her, for those families, right? So now I sound like the, the other side. So every, the, the workers who worked in the coal mines, right, but weren't protected, and those people died, right? And they got very, and some of them got very sick. Well, shame on that industry or those companies who didn't take care of their people. Right. That's a, that becomes then a cry for someone to get in there and help those people. That's a, a cry for a union to come in and hopefully they're a responsible union, because I know there's a lot of unions out there that take their dues and don't do what their dues are supposed to do. Right. So it's this big quagmire. And I don't know what the right answer is. I just know that as a country, we got a lot of work to do. And nobody can just sit silently off to the side and and not do anything. I mean, we all have to do our part. So whatever that part is, whether it's it's voting, whether it's buying a business and trying to make a difference in your employees' lives, you gotta do something because otherwise we just continue down the same crazy path we're on right now and nothing ever gets better. I know I'm way that... in the rabbit hole. I know that, that no one came up with the correct answer, which was you unleash There's a right the, answer? There is. <laughs> you unleash the zombie apocalypse in Washington, D.C. in 1935. Therefore, the zombies eat all the politicians and all this damage is not done. So, and where are we today? Where are we today? <laughs> without Washington, D.C. I don't know that we're going to... Yeah. we'd be any better off i mean oh yeah a study just came out that said if there was no government interference back around the turn of depression that we would all have about uh was it i think a 300 percent increase in our in our current wage situation yeah Ugh. exactly yeah. right so, so kristen we're not that we're going to be here for a long time for have that discussion so we're, we're, we're yeah. just leaving it at that well let's wow. go that way then how unleash the zombies isn't that pretty cool that the zombie apocalypse back in 35 is supports is supported with that note we'll say goodbye thanks to our wonderful goes for making insurance actually seem interesting thanks to our watchers and we'll be back next week with another weird and interesting topic on <laughs> Bill, Bill, Bill,